Yep. I don't mind. I don't mind whatever. Okay, so, um, well, I'll just, for my own sake, um, yeah. So, this feels, this feels The same. moment you decide. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, uh, I don't know what yeah. I'm doing. <laughs> so, always edit. <laughs> so, this feels terribly awkward, but, uh, all right, so the plan here is to host a podcast. Uh, we're calling this the History of Christian, no, wait, A History of Christian Theology. Um, yes. And, uh. I tried to come up with more clever titles, but supposedly this is the best way uh, to get people to actually click on it, so we'll see. Grace and peace to you from A History of Christian Theology. I'm Chad Kim, and I'm your host. Uh, this week we'll have the second half of our, di- of our dialogue on Justin's second apology. As I teased a little bit on the Facebook page, a lot of this will concern the relationship between early Christians uh, and ancient philosophers. We will also discuss moral relativism and a few other issues, but if you'd like a further intro for Justin's second apology, please listen to last week's episode, uh, and I'll also put a copy of it up on our website in written form. So sit back and enjoy this edition of A History of Christian Theology. Please check us out on our website at ahistoryofchristiantheology.com and our Facebook page, A History of Christian Theology. Thank you very much. Here's our conversation. Yeah. All right. Uh, for Justin, his, his demonology, though, is, like, super interesting since he seems to think, you know, essentially that all true philosophy or the truth comes from Christ. And so... Um, you know, Christ is basically, I, he even almost refers to him as like reason itself. Um, and he seems to say like people got close, like other philosophers got close and that even sometimes like the reason he, like the reason Socrates was killed was because of demons at the time who influenced other men. And I, it's, it's kind of crazy because he, he makes a strong connection between academic reasoning and uh, basically righteousness and the way, the way of uh, Christ and everyone kind of just reaching for that or getting close to that if they weren't quite a Christian and how essentially the righteous or anyone who got you know, doing good reasoning or like some of these great philosophers um, – they were like punished by demons and like eventually their, their deaths and, and their persecution was caused by demons. And I thought that was, I thought it was really interesting because he's, he seems to think obviously the Christians are going through what they're going through right now because of the demons uh, in the world. And, and the, yeah, weirdly even Socrates was killed because of, uh, you know, essentially de- uh, demon influence. And I thought, I thought it was a very like, I don't know. It was a very strange thing. He, he must've saw it more in his mind than, he, he saw revealed anywhere in scripture, but it was, it's, he definitely thinks that uh, demons well, are a prevalent cause. Let me piggyback off that because yeah. that's actually a pretty important thing that I felt like, I, I felt like if there's one thing we didn't bring up last time uh, we met during the first apology, it's really bringing out Justin's personality. So Justin, um, he considered himself a philosopher People call him, refer to him as either Justin the Martyr or Justin the Philosopher. Yep. Now, truth is, he's really not a very good philosopher, in all honesty. Yeah. But at the same time, he actually wore the the robe of a philosopher, the philosophical robe, which was a, a garment which would distinguish you as a professional philosopher. He considered himself 
to be in the line of the great philosophical teachers like Socrates, like Plato, like Aristotle. Um, and this is something I think, you know, a lot of Christians aren't familiar with. I've had a lot of Christians ask me, how could you have majored in philosophy? Like, isn't it anti-God and all this kind of stuff? And the reality is philosophy, I mean, it has, there were pre-Socratic philosophers, that is philosophers who existed before Socrates, but every philosopher becomes a philosopher because of Socrates, right? We all read Socrates, we all read Plato's works on Socrates. We fell in love with him. He's one of the great men in history. And I mention this because here, Justin very clearly delineates Socrates as a pre-Christian. He thinks of him as like, he's like, look, yeah. Socrates said he talked to God, which he did. Socrates said, Socrates taught that there was one God, or if there were many gods, that they were completely unified in a sense. But he was, he spoke of one God, this one God who spoke to him. He would tell everybody that this one God was ineffable. That is, you couldn't describe him. You couldn't explain him. He was nothing at all like the the gods of um, of the day, Zeus and, and, and the pantheon of the Greek gods. When Socrates is killed, because again, for those of you who don't know, he was arrested in Athens, he was put on trial, and he was ultimately put to death. And the accusations against him, he had three accusations. One of them was that he was an atheist just like the accusation against Christians. Yep. And in the in his apology, his defense, yeah. uh, he sits there and he says, um, do you say that I'm an atheist in the sense that I don't believe in any gods to the prosecutor? And the prosecutor says, yeah, you don't believe in any gods. And he goes, well, that's insane. He goes, I've been saying nothing, but I've been doing nothing but teaching about God. And he goes on to tell him about all these things God has revealed to him. Um, but at the end of uh, so at the end of it all socrates is ultimately put to death justin looks at socrates as like a proto christian who is put to death for his belief in god and what what socrates is or what justin essentially is here saying to these romans is going look you romans now uh, some 400 years after socrates you all admire socrates you admire plato you admire aristotle you think of yourselves as philosophers and you don't understand that me and my brothers, we're in the line of the philosophers. Yeah. And you guys are deceived just like those Athenians back then were deceived. And there's a demonic element, he would say, behind all of it, where they're all trying to crush and kind of uh, snuff out the life of, of true spirituality and the true knowledge of God. And it is important for theology because it's, uh, you know, in, in modern times, I think sometimes you could write some of theological works without really having to do any philosophy but for the next i think i i don't know i don't know my history that well but i guess for the next probably thousand years or more like these guys are going to need to be like decent philosophers as well well uh, they, and they don't draw yeah. a distinction no they I, don't sit there yeah the idea that there was a realm of theology and physics and philosophy yeah. that was that's a new thing back then they just true. it was all together they're like, true technically uh, everything was philosophy. yes it was, <laughs> that's exactly right yeah. they would all it's just all philosophy even biology was philosophy everything then, yeah. yeah but but so i guess what i mean is yeah just they i and i think it's cool because he he does he's more friendly i think some other writers in fact i think irenaeus who we're going to get on to wasn't as friendly to philosophy tertullian definitely wasn't as friendly to philosophy uh, Justin definitely did like philosophy, considered it, and I think, I think it's cool that he kind of just connected onto this idea that it, you know, it meant lover of wisdom, 
and he essentially thought God was wisdom. So yeah. it was like this cool idea where he thought doing philosophy really was like loving yeah. God. But anyway. Yeah, I would. I well, finish it with goes. My favorite, just one sec, sorry, Chad. Favorite part <laughs> about Socrates, at the end of his trial, he goes, and so right after he's found guilty, he goes, what's the conclusion of the matter? He goes, or no, actually, it's right before he's found guilty. He says, we know that we know nothing. All knowledge belongs to God and to whomever God wishes to reveal it to. Yeah. And then after he's found guilty, he goes, I go to God. And he goes, and you stay here. Which of us has the happier prospect? Only God knows. Yeah. So Justin's like, yeah, that's exactly right. And he puts him right in that same line. Well, yeah. So, I mean, to piggyback off but but both of you all said, um, you know, he he plays a lot on the word the word logos in Greek. Um, at times, our translation will use reason. At times, it will use word. Um, and, and so it'll sort of go back and forth, which, of course, is encompassed by both. Uh, but sort of to the point, um, he, uh, Justin says of philosophers before him, whom he discusses the Stoics, he discuss, discusses Heraclitus, and he sort of seems to think that uh, philosophy reaches its uh, height in, in Plato and in Socrates. Well, I mean, I don't know, or maybe the trail leads back, as Tom says, to Socrates. Um, but he says, uh, our, uh, but since they, meaning the philosophers, uh, did not know the whole of the word, uh, again, the word there being Logos, did not know the whole of the Logos, which is Christ, they often contradicted themselves. And those who by, uh, who by human birth were more ancient than Christ, when they attempted to consider and prove things by reason, Logos, were brought before the tribunals as impious persons and busybodies, uh, and Socrates was more zealous than any. Um, and then at the end, he says of, of Socrates, for no one trusted in Socrates so as to die for this doctrine, but in Christ, who was partially known even by Socrates. And so, you know, for Justin, you get the idea that what the philosophers are doing is engaging in logic and reasoning broader than our term logic, meaning, you know, formal systematic logic, thinking. Um, if you're engaged in thinking, you are an inst- Oh yeah, to, to do this was to engage in in reasoning, and so and by reasoning you could know Christ, you could know the Logos, you could know the, uh, what you know. John says in the beginning was the Word, was Christ, and so you know Socrates knew it better than any other philosopher, and so I thought that was fascinating because it seems to me that for Justin, who you know he in the next page he'll talk about the divine philosophy, which is what he takes himself to be doing. Um, which, which is that somehow, you know, anybody who engaged in reasoning is engaged in learning about Christ. Um, and so there's a very positive spin on whatever is being done in philosophy. Uh, and to the point that you can even come pretty close uh, to knowing Jesus Christ simply by your ability to reason. And, 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 so, and in some way, um, by the revelation of God in Christ, in the word, you know, theology is the sort of, or philosophy is the proper bedrock uh, to doing theology. Um, and theology sort of takes on, in the same way that, you know, Christianity follows on the heels of the, uh, of the Old Testament and interprets itself in light of the Old Testament. I think that what Justin is kind of doing is interpreting Christianity uh, in light of its, the Greek philosophical past. Um, these were all steps ultimately leading us to Jesus. You can look at the Old Testament and see the steps that lead to Jesus from the Jewish law. And in philosophy, you can see the steps that ultimately lead uh, to us understanding the Logos himself who becomes flesh, Um, which is 
to me, pretty powerful. Um, I mean, I, I'm totally taken by this uh, to, to some degree because, of course, as all of us have said, I studied philosophy first post high school, um, you know, and then came to study theology and other things. I mean, you know, maybe that's a, you know, sort of too much. Maybe he's making the case too greatly, but I, I thought it was kind of powerful. Well, doesn't John, I mean, John the Apostle in his gospel picks up on the exact same element just by calling Jesus the Logos, right? Just by using that word, because that was the established term that Stoics, well, one of, but a predominant term that Stoic philosophers used for God. That was, I mean, so John is clearly right there co-opting Stoic philosophy uh, to try to explain who Jesus is to philosophers of his day. Um, and, it, and it connected well to, you know, something that also Jews kind of already had an idea of uh, in Proverbs, how that you had this wisdom with God mm-hmm. in the beginning that helped uh, create the world and was before everything else and was the first created. And it's so it's, I, I know what you mean, uh, Chad, that you're very taken with it. I, I've actually never read this before. So when I read this, I was, wicked interested because i think when i was a budding philosopher but didn't know it at 18 i and it was my senior year of high school i had thoughts like this often about uh christ being called the logos and thought about how you know reason as much as we all like to say uh you know love and other things are are a part of god or or even our god depending on what you think about that uh I always thought, well, yeah, reasoning is too, and, and, you know, logic is too. And I thought it was a cool way in which you actually did participate in something with God. And so it's, anyway, yeah, he, I was very taken with this too. I thought it was really, I thought it was really cool, but. There are three things that I would, I I, I think we're running really long at this point again. And there are three things I really think we should hit on. One being what what uh, Trevor already brought up yeah. on objective and subjective truth. Um, two would be free will, which we really haven't gone into detail on. And I think it, well, I guess we can bring that up in the dialogue with Trifo, but still, because he, he fleshes it out more there, I guess. Um, and then three, something about how Christians view death. Um, I mean, that's just me. I'm not saying there aren't other things we should hit on, but I would really like to try to hit on those um, before we're done. Okay, let's do, well, do you want to do chapter 9 real quick? Yeah, let's take a look there at the chapter 9 thing. Go ahead. Um, well, yeah, so I thought this was really cool because this is still, a, you know, an ongoing, really complicated kind of uh, project where it's normally done in kind of an evidential way where we look at the world and we say, look, there are objective morals, and then often an argument is made from objective morality to God in modern day uh, philosophy of religion where we say uh, there would no be a there would not be an objective basis for morality if God did not exist uh, and therefore God must exist so it, in this it's it's very strange like you said you're you're kind of talking you, when you read the beginning of it earlier you were kind of like I don't know what his argument is for this but he seems to assume early on that an essential attribute which is an attribute that you could not exist without uh, of God is his justice and his virtue in such a way that he thinks that it is mutually exclusive. Like uh, there being essentially um, 
no eternal punishment for those or God's existence. He thinks those are mutually exclusive because he thinks, no, there just must be justice wrought upon people. And so if there isn't justice wrought upon people, God doesn't exist. It's almost like, so he's, he's mentioning almost an essential attribute of God in that sense. And then later he says, um, if one objects that the laws of men are diverse and say that with some one thing's considered good and another evil while the other one, while with others, what seemed bad to the former is esteemed good and what seemed good is esteemed bad. He said, let him listen to what we say to this. We know that the, and now this is more of his demonology here, that the wicked angels appointed laws comfortable to their Conformable. own. Oh, sorry, conformable to their own wickedness in which men who are like them delight. And the right reason when he came and proved and reasons capitalized there. So I'm assuming it's Jesus. Uh, Jesus. He came and proved that not all opinions nor all doctrines are good, but that some are evil while others are good. Wherefore, I will declare the same and similar things to such men as these. And if need be, they shall be spoken of more at large. But at present, I return to the subject. Yeah. And this so, is interesting for two reasons, because the demons are said to, first of all, appoint laws. I thought that was some weird language. And also, Jesus comes along as the right reason and proves. Now, yeah, he doesn't give an argument for this, how it's all proved. But still, this is his basic ideal here. And this is how he kind of proves the point of nine in general, which is that uh, punishment isn't just a mere threat because it seems to be included in God's existence. Yeah. And so it's, it's, yeah. So the thing is here, I think why this is so interesting is because culturally people today, they usually give one of two accounts of morality. They either say that it's relative, subjectively relative, meaning that it's relative to the individual. Um, That is that each individual in a sense kind of defines his own moral program Mm -hmm. or, and this is way more commonly accepted, that it's socially relative. That is that that different cultures, different um, uh, you know ethnocentric or ethnocultural groups uh, define what is right uh, for themselves. Which all of which has problems because if morality is uh, subjective to the individual, well then that individual should feel free to do whatever he wants yeah. without anybody judging him, right? If it's culturally relative, that is, if it's specific to a people group, well then that people group should be able to do anything that they want and and define for themselves what counts as morality. So Trevor, a moment ago, referred to one of the traditional arguments for God's existence, the moral argument, which basically just says, as he he summarized, if there is real morality, that is, if there is something that is truly good and truly evil, then it must transcend men. It must be something that is over us. And the argument just basically says, what kind of thing could that be besides God? But Justin is essentially bringing that in. He's saying, look, yeah, you guys. So he's kind of saying in the second century, people in Rome essentially thought the same thing. They were like, well, you know, we can't judge all cultures the same. Each culture has their own view. And he goes, no, that's not true. Some cultures got it wrong. And Jesus came into the world to say, look, this is what true right is. This is what true wrong is. And he says, when a culture doesn't meet that standard, the culture's wrong. And you know, he would say, and then he goes on, as you pointed out, that demons kind of influence that particular morality. But yeah, he just rejects subjective morality. Yeah, which which just super quick clarification, since it's so easy to misunderstand this. We're not saying 
atheists or others can't be good or can't be bad. I mean, we, we understand that people can be moral and behave morally, and you can even ascribe the word good and bad to certain actions. But all, all this is trying to say is that would be subjective rather than objective, which is, yeah, which is clearly, yeah, something that Justin Martyr is... When kidding. theists and atheists get an argument about this, it's so infuriating because what a theist will say is you cannot have a grounds for morality apart from something that transcends men. And then an atheist will respond by saying, what are you saying, atheists can't be good? And the proper response from a theist is, no, in fact, we're the only ones who can say that you can be good because <laughs> we have a standard. That's the point. We can look at atheists and say, oh, you're a kind, loving person who gives and who, who has this strong sense of morality. And we can say, oh, he's recognized the right moral laws. The way the argument is going is, the way the argument goes is essentially, it's saying the thing you can't do if you're an atheist is look at somebody else and say the same thing. Well, and actually, I even want to clarify a little bit there. It's not even, they, we can even give them that they have a standard. That's actually oh, for sure. as well. No, for but sure. yeah, it's an objective standard. It's an objective standard. Yeah. That and, they can hold others to. That's right. kind of my point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so anyway, we can get into yeah. we can get into moral philosophy way way too uh, deep here. But yeah. but it, essentially, it's yeah, it's still culturally relevant, and it's culturally relevant for Christians since we are trying to say uh, no this this thing that's wrong. It's wrong objectively. Mm. It's not you can't just say yeah, it's okay for us. Yeah now you know in our culture so that's why um on the front lines anyway one one thing that i wanted to just take a pause here as we you know you went through a very good um and helpful discussion of moral philosophy um of sort of ethics you know philosophical argumentation jesus came down to prove you know i think what's hard uh maybe for some of our listeners or what was hard for me even as one who'd studied philosophy for a long time, theology takes a turn where philosophy sort of, uh, where philosophy can't go on its own, which is a participation with reason. It, well, I should say philosophy in the modern sense, as I studied analytic philosophy at the contemporary university, um, the idea that you would in some way participate, uh, that there was some connection to God, um, that there was something experiential, that there's something sort of that, – that stuff gets harder to analyze and to make an argument about. Not to say that uh, an academic philosopher has to be against it. Um, it's just – it's not really within the purview of what can be analyzed. Um, it's so relative to experience. But this is exactly what, you know, theology wants to claim here, um, what, you know, what happens as the, you know, the Logos becomes uh, man, as God becomes man. There's a participation here. Uh, even philosophy of the ancient world was more akin to, your, you know, even what we would call theology or religion. Um, it's not just an academic discipline um, that's, you know, uh, of the sort that, that, that's just writing papers in the ivory tower or something, and it has no application to the way that we live. Um, so I think we can talk about this maybe a little bit more with a dialogue with Trifo, but what's crucial to Justin is how one acts in addition to how one reasons, um, and mm -hmm. which is also a, a crucial point to 
any of the philosophical schools of the ancient world, I mean, they gathered together uh, the Stoics, the, philo- the Stoics, the Epicureans, uh, the academics, to not only discuss what is true, but how one should live. Ethics, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, and actually put it into practice. Maybe something more, more like, you know, I don't know, an AA meeting or something. I don't know. I'm not sure what the right comparison is. But, but it's more than just getting something right on paper and, and, you know, closing it in a book and being done with it for a day. Or how he also has a kind of atonement theory. Um, he became man for our sakes that becoming a partaker of our sufferings, he might also bring us healing. Sort of. I mean, there's just, it's not fleshed out at all. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like another metaphor. Metaphor, yeah. or it's more metaphoric language that's pretty vague. I mean, it is, yeah. but... He brings in healing there, which is nice. Well, I wanted to bring up how Christians view death only because of this. I, I want to. You brought up N.T. Wright. Um, I'm going to take a moment. Who? And by the way, I love N.T. Wright, so I don't mean to poo-poo him in a sense. But I listened to a debate with him, and I, I can't remember who it was with. Some guy I'd never heard of, so that's why I can't recall his name. And the debate centered on one of N.T. Wright's kind of principal teachings, which is uh, he is a modern theologian. He kind of uh, chastens the church, if you will, or rebukes the church for its obsession with the afterlife and neglecting the present life, which I think is fair enough. And I, I mean, I I have reaped a lot from what he's read or what he's written on that particular subject. But in this debate, it was th- this other guy brought up something that really made me stop and reflect. And he said, look, he said, read the fathers, read the fathers. And what you find is you find people who are immensely unconcerned with this life not in the sense that they didn't think it was important to live moral lives and to to live out the faith that they've been given but only in the sense that they were very clearly living for eternity that they were that and and this is kind of the point that justin brings up when it comes to death in chapter 11 he says neither should we be put to death nor would wicked men and devils be more powerful than we We're not death a debt due by every man that is born. So he starts off by saying everybody needs to die anyway because we owe that debt. It's a a debt because of sin. And he goes, therefore, we give thanks that we pay the debt, right? So, So our perspective of death is just totally different. He goes on to basically say you guys should be terrified of death, but we rejoice because death is the entrance into real life, right? So I only bring it up because it is something that is so in like it, it so dominates especially the writers of these first four centuries who were facing persecution uh i shouldn't say first well first three centuries who were facing persecution so regularly and who had to wake up every day and say you know what i have to make a decision keep like if i'm going to keep walking in this faith i may die and i have to embrace that and they seem to really do that you know again this is something we might be able to talk or flesh out more next time but i i just bring it up because in that debate nt Wright he actually conceded and said sometimes he says you leave yourself dangling over a pit too long somebody kicks you in and his point being yeah fair enough uh i have focused so much on the here and now that i am kind of neglecting this fact of church tradition that people were immensely concerned and not concerned but thought about what was to come um, it's a it's a good point. We'll end on that. Um, 
Thank you for listening to another week of A History of Christian Theology. Next week we will be doing Justin's Dialogue with Trifo. This will be the last work that we have from the great Justin Martyr. Then we will move on to Irenaeus a little bit later in the second century, and ultimately we'll discuss the Apostles' Creed, and, and then we'll go from there. But thank you for listening. Again, check us out on our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash A History of Christian Theology, and drop us a note. Uh, and let us know what you think of our show. Thank you very much.